Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Gary Bain and once more I'm uh, joined by Peter Hart. I can't get rid of the boat. The boat? The boat. It's like a bloke, but worse. Are we going to have trouble with pronunciations today? <laughs> well, we started well, haven't we? <laughs> what are we doing today? Well, today, Pete, we're doing uh, another in the series of Laugh or Cry. Uh, and this time it's Friends and Enemies. Ooh. So does that mean sort of our allies on the Western Front, or some of them we're dealing with, and the enemy, which would be the Germans? Oh, good job you told me that. Now, the ability of the British soldier to vilify the soldier of, of any other nation that he met was uh, a very evident trait. Has that changed, do you think? Um, no, I think <laughs> is the answer to that. Uh, the old enemy, France, was now a friend. But that didn't stop a sustained campaign of denigration as to their military incompetence, scatological habits, and general uh, insanitary nature. Tommy also enjoyed an abusive relationship with the soldiers of any, and indeed all, of the British colonies. To them, a cliched character, a cliched caricature figure, was often allowed to stand for the uh, personal characteristics of a whole nation under arms. That's you. You seem to have swallowed a dictionary. Yeah. Now, you're going to start by uh, telling us what Captain Guy Chapman of the 13th Royal Fusiliers says. Yeah, what a chap he was. He says this. We were, being in a passive sector, the frequent host of our allies' representatives. These resplendent figures would clank into our white panelled chamber and we would match our mutually indifferent French. I recall an overwhelming bevy of four exuberant Russian colonels, all magnificent animals, jingling with orders. One was, uh, he means decorations, doesn't he? Yeah. One was very fair with a wide fan of blonde beard. He bowed and smiled and I think he kissed the stuff Officer. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> I think so. While another, a swarthy Tartar, wore a scarf across his forehead where a bottle had cut it open. <laughs> there followed two harassed looking Portuguese generals led by a long nosed and voluble gunner, Brigade Major, who whispered, They've given me the order of the Avis, which I'm told means the bird. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Portuguese were succeeded by a plump little partridge of a Romanian army commander. His gold-laced jacket could scarcely restrain his pouting chest, while his ADC wore a glorious sky-blue cloak down to his ankles. This lad carried, loosely tacked to his chest, the military cross ribbon. When questioned about it, he said it was given to him on his arrival in England, and deftly turning it up, showed the words, For Valour, scrawled in indelible pencil on the reverse. Yes... Mm. Now, simple generalities were applied beyond all reason. Of course, these various insults were returned with redoubled intensity. You mean our allies sometimes were rude about us? Yeah, that's the British were widely accused of being unimaginative. Lacking in drive, Gary. Yeah, and vigour. Buttoned up. And unable to think on their feet. What what were they unable to think on? Their feet. Now, some of the more thoughtful (laughs) British were aware of their disadvantages of their willingness to just stick it out when under attack rather than employ rather more flexible, frankly, sensible tactics. Yes, sensible is the word that uh, we're looking for there. And you're going to be Captain Charles Miller of the second Royal Inneskilling Fusilier. So, your best Irish accent, I expect. I don't think so. (laughs) You don't want to be offensive, yeah. The British Army has certain shibboleths, one of which, and it has cost the lives of scores of thousands of soldiers, is that when you're attacked in overwhelming force, you mustn't run away. The French, who are much more logical than we, and who consider results and not prestige, invariably run away under such circumstances, and when the right moment comes, run back again and deliver a counter-attack. And that is pretty sensible. Uh, that's, uh, that's the way forward. But it wasn't the British way, or not until 1918, or uh, certainly. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the ordinary Tommy uh, 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 tends to only meet other allied nationalities uh, on the Western Front, where, where in the line at least, when they were t- coming in and taking over a sector. Uh, and uh, th- 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 there's usually... a, a an occasion for humour here, isn't there? Well, certainly on one occasion, when the French handed over to the Australians, there was an exchange that made for a great story to be told and retold time and time and, and time, time again. And time again. <laughs> and you're going to tell us what Captain Thomas Louch of the headquarters 13th Australian Brigade says. We got orders to take over part of the line south of Villas Bredano, which was being held by the 2nd Tyrolers, and Brigadier Herring and I went to see the French brigade to make arrangements for the relief. The French general was an oldish man with only one arm, that might have been Guro, uh, but spry in spite of his disability. With the aid of his interpreter, who spoke very colloquial English, we studied their dispositions on the map and then went up on foot to look at the forward area. The Germans <laughs> went to Geordie there momentarily. The Germans spotted our party and got onto us with whiz bangs. One salvo burst right overhead, and we all flattened ourselves on the ground. When I recovered my breath, I said gallantly to the interpreter, "I hope your old general will not be hit." To which he replied ungallantly, <laughs> "Bugger him! I hope I don't get it myself." <laughs> <laughs> you speak colloquial English, Pete. Yeah, it's about all I can speak. Now, generally, the British accused the French of leaving their trenches in a terrible state. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the idea that there was shit everywhere, that they were untidy, that they they didn't. T- yeah, it was just that they left everything in shit order. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, no, a closer approximation to reality is that most troops of all nations were not 
innocent of this. <laughs> were you innocent of it when I'm you were? I'm innocent of everything, sir. <laughs> uh, but that uh, didn't uh, stop... Gary, could we have the not in front of the officer <laughs> on a charge? <laughs> that didn't stop the moaning, did it? Not at all. And this is what Lieutenant Edward Underhill of the 8th Loyal... Oh, <laughs> 8th Loyal North Lancashire Regiment says. This morning, we went to our new trenches to see what they were like. They really are awful. But of course we saw them at their worst in the rain and wet. We take them over early tomorrow morning. The Canadians had them. And for dirtiness and beastliness, commend me every time to the Canadians. They are filthy brutes. You see, it doesn't matter who they are. That That is a foul calumet on the Canadians, or, or most Canadians. Of course it is. And it's the same. That whether, whether I mean, to the British soldier, whether they're French, Australians, New Zealands, or Canadians, like they all cause absolute disgust and outrage. Uh, but it's not just uh, other countries that, that can cause uh, a little bit of uh, a frisson. No, some of the British uh, battalions from... Uh such and such city, the north, the east, the west, the south, you can delete as appropriate in that list. Uh, and that just caused outrage. So so this is just anywhere that wasn't exactly from the locality in England or Scotland or Wales that they were from. Or Ireland. Or Ireland. So in other words, if it wasn't them... Or Clacton. Or the Isle of Wight. If it wasn't them, they were just all filthy brutes. Or lower stuff. Don't be rude about I'm them. I'm now just going to go through the entire country. We'll be here for a while. Yeah. Now, um, the other thing is, uh, and this is unfortunate, is that troops of a non-European ethnic origin, uh, people like the African troops who fought with the thing, but any other <laughs> non-European, they're supposed to be either mad or primitive. And that, that, Gary, what's that reflecting? Well, that's the prevalent prejudices of that of the time uh, and and stories spread to reflect those beliefs and, and often there's little or absolutely no foundation in fact they're often uh they're often almost apocryphal or just just not that's easy for you to say it is gary it is and this uh to, to go on this is uh private edward pack of the first somerset light infantry oh, i'm looking forward to this somerset <laughs> no, I can't. I'm not doing it. There are some Algerian troops on our, uh, on, our, on our left, and they're awfully amusing. They shoot at any blooming thing that moves. One day they got tired of sitting in the trenches, so they arranged an attack on their own without saying a word to their officers. So at dawn they sallied out and, of course, suffered enormous losses, but I believe gave the Germans something to chew on. <laughs> one of them came back to our lines with a bayonet wound in his leg, and one of our officers noted his haversack was bulging very much and also very jammy. Does he mean red? Mm. So he asked what he'd got in there. The Algerian said, souvenir, souvenir, and displayed in his haversack a German helmet and head. Although I didn't actually see this, and that's crucial, isn't it, Gary? I only saw this chap, the chap come in, and I believe it's absolutely true. Do you believe it's absolutely true? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You've always been gullible, haven't you? Absolutely. <laughs> now, some legends are still Oh, by given- the way, it's your round. Tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. But some legends are still given some credence, even to this very day, such as the idea <laughs> that uh, all Australians are drunken oafs. You've put that in deliberately. I have. I have. I'm glad you said that all Australians were drunken oafs and not me. And th- it's not true, of course, Lister. Um, now, this is... Uh, <laughs> who's this, Gary? <laughs> oh, no. This is a Lieutenant... <laughs> In your probert. In your probert. <laughs> of O battery. Is that something you get when you go to court? In your probert. 
I'm assuming this chap's Welsh. It's uh, Y-N-Y-R. It's an unusual name, isn't it? Anyway, who's he from? I've interrupted your... Uh... He's of O-Battery. That's the rocket troop, Royal Horse Artillery. And this is what he says. I was astounded to come across the Australians. They were dead drunk. So drunk, you wouldn't bloody well credit it. They'd found carboys of whiskey and they were rolling. I must say they could just stagger. That was about all. They'd captured a very nice Bosch field cooker with some nice horses. I was offering to take one of them away when one of these Aussies said, no, you don't, and pulled out his gun. There was a moment I thought better of it. And so I backed off. Well, you know, it's uh, it's certainly a case that some British officers took, a, what would you describe it as, offence? What, what at, Gary? Well, they certainly took a bit of offence to the Australian approach to discipline. However, not many took the robust two-fisted approach adopted by the, uh, the next quote, the redoubtable Jim Davis. And you're going to tell us what Lieutenant Jim Davis of 9th Royal Fusiliers says. I remember sitting in his front room and I remember sitting across from him telling me this story. He was a fabulous bloke. Uh, I called out, Halt! Who are you? He said, Fucking Australian! <laughs> Who the fucking hell are you? I realised he was drunk. And I said, you realise you're talking to an officer? And he told me to go and fuck myself. <laughs> My troops were watching this and I wondered how to handle it. You can't say, fall in two men, take his name and number. So I hit him. <laughs> oh, I knocked him down. I can see him now sitting with his knees up and his head at the back. I, I never saw him again. I didn't want to. He probably had a vague idea he'd been hit, that someone, somebody had knocked him into the mud. It was the only thing to do. Now, I remember when an officer took a similar approach to discipline with you when you'd uh, dived out of the bushes and, uh, and attacked him just outside the officer's mess. What did that officer do to you? I have no idea what you're talking about. He hit you, Gary, didn't he? <laughs> I do think there was something else he could have done, though. I don't think it was the only thing to do. What could he have done? Oh, I think he could have had very stern words with him. <laughs> uh, that your officer didn't have stern words with you, did he? What did he do to you, Gary? Had very stern words with you. He didn't. He beat now, you to a pulp. <laughs> even in action, uh, there could be disgraceful, but sometimes very amusing incidents. One typical story involved Lieutenant Adrian Ball and his platoon from 24th Australian Battalion. Now, you, you found this in the regimental history of all places, didn't you? Yeah, and they just captured a German pillbox. Now, on entering, they discovered some German cigars and several bottles of wine. Always a temptation to a young lad. Especially as there was enough to allow a bottle each. <laughs> now, after they were suitably... Uh, Primed? Yes, that's a good word, thank you for that. And looking for mischief, that happened upon two crates of carrier pigeons. What do you think they did? Well, I know one thing they'll have done, but what did they do before that? Well, a series of cheery messages were dispatched back, ranging from... Deutschland über alles, ha ha, to hock the Kaiser. Now I don't, I don't think. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that hock was the word they used. No, probably not. But it sort of rhymes with it. Yeah. Uh, but it culminated in a request from Ball himself for certain information of an obscene and personal nature. I wonder what that was. Now, having had their fun, they pondered what to do with the remaining pigeons. Oh, pigeon pie. Now, the answer's obvious, even to you. Uh, and soon they were settling down to a nutritious pigeon stew. I'll get it wrong. I said pie. <laughs> I'll get everything wrong, Gary. 
<sighs> after you. After you. No, after you. After you. Now, truly, those pigeon messengers <laughs> also serve who provide sustenance to hungry Australians. Now, another story is, uh, this was another one you found. You did a lot of the work uh, on the Australian I do thing. everything. You have, you have to do everything, I know. But you did a lot of work for the book, Laugh or Cry, which is coming out very soon, yes. You did a lot of the work on the Australian battalion histories, which in some way, case times were quite jolly, weren't they? And this is a story uh, which commemorates a real Australian larrikin. He's a, a signaller called Lucas. Um, hey, now, this chap, he, he, he'd been drinking, hadn't he? Yeah, he'd uh, he'd been a bit um, over-indulging and he decided, for complex reasons that we don't need to go into right now, that his colonel needed his very own German servant to tend to his every need. I can't think what that thinking was, but uh, go on, Gary. So you're going to be Corporal Harold Williams of the 56th Australian Battalion and he tells the tale. And by the way, listener, as you're listening to this, this is the most dubious tale I've ever heard in my life and there are about 18 other explanations for what was happening, mainly that the bloke deserted. So just be thinking about that. One that would clean his boots. Oh, this is he needed a German servant to do. I see, yeah. Uh, One that would clean his boots, hold his horse and do a goose step. In short, Lucas decided that he would go back to the line, advance upon the enemy and pluck from their midst one of their number. This amazing fella turned about and walked through our outpost line and then into the German position until he came upon a large dugout. Standing boldly at the entrance, he called out for the occupants to come up and surrender or be blown to pieces in their lair. Eight Germans came sheepishly up the steps with their hands above their heads. Lucas lined them up, entertained them with a wild demonstration of bayonet lunging, (laughs) called out to an imaginary patrol behind him to keep down behind a parapet, and then, beckoning a young Fritz to his side, chased the others below with threats that if they came up again, they would be cut to pieces. With his prisoner, he returned through both the German and our own lines of posts without being halted. In festive mood, and having conceived a liking for the young German, Hello. <laughs> Lucas decided that a holiday in the back areas would do them both an immense amount of good. So crossing the Somme at Corby, he and his prisoner became for five days and nights lost to the ken of men. Meanwhile, Lucas was reported missing by his battalion and was thought to have been blown to pieces by a shell. On the sixth day, a strange pair walked into the battalion horse lines at Corby, a young German carrying the web equipment of an Australian soldier and a boltless Lee Enfield rifle on his shoulder, and beside him, flourishing a walking stick with the air of a showman parading a rare exhibit, the Morn Signaler Lucas. Lucas was, (laughs) of course, placed under arrest. His story was not believed at first, but the German, when examined, confirmed it. Lucas would no doubt have received a decoration, but for the reward in the shape of a holiday jaunt which he took unto himself. That's a really weird story, is it? But that's from a regimental history. There we go, I presume, of the, the relevant battalion, the 56th Australian Battalion. Now, um, even the more, just to put it, even the more sober Australians, they could be quite sharp, couldn't they? As to the uh, supposed, anyway, excesses of their fellow countrymen uh, behind the lines, at the very least. And uh, and uh, I'm, who am I going to be? You're going to be Private Herbert Harris of the 55th Australian Battalion. 
The more I see of the Australians, the more I'm convinced that they're the most foul-mouthed, bragging, malingering crowds in this war. And all they think about is food, women, drink, and to see who can curse the worst. My honest opinion is that they are mostly a damn lot of wastrels, always talking about how to get to Blighty or hospital. Hmm. Uh, I wonder that- how our books are going to do in Australia. Well, that, 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 where we do point out that they're actually the Australians are excellent soldiers and a great asset to the British Army. And that is a, just as much a caricature of, of the Australians as, as anything the British might say. Yeah, but they did certainly seem to appreciate, uh, or not seem to appreciate many of the, uh, British officers that they encountered. And you're going to give the, the views of Private George Mitchell, 48th Australian Battalion. Demonair Tommy officers on back area duties, all pink and white, strolled round blithely with gloves and canes. They moved me to dark thoughts of murder. I would not salute them. Blast them anyway. That seemed a bit generic northern. I'm wondering where he came from. Yeah, perhaps he was a northerner who then went to Australia. There was a tinge of Australian in it. Yeah, good point. Now, taken as a whole, their discipline may have been a tad... mm, Looser, is, yeah, is yeah. that the word? And there was a self-conscious celebration of the wild Australian oh, boy. It makes me feel like singing. Which even extended to the tales recounted in their battalion histories, as we've mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the Australians poured a veritable deluge of abuse on the British soldiers. Yeah, but for for uh, for all the uh, scorn poured on them, uh, here's a story that, about the British soldier that shows a different thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it shows that at least some elements of the British Army were well and truly capable of keeping up their end. And this is Sapper Frederick Cork of the 78th Field Company, Royal Engineers. If evidence of our high spirits and virility were needed, I record the following for posterity. I was with a covering rear guard party and was passed, passed by a small detachment of Gordon Highlanders. Ah, oh, fine regiment. Hastening to catch up with my own unit, I surprised one of the kilted jocks who had dodged his own column and was well and truly seducing a French girl in a pile, <laughs> in a pile of stones. And he had not even removed his pack. Wow. Now, at that high point, uh, dear listeners, we shall take a short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Now, with the uh, various animosities raging uh, amidst the ranks of the Allies, perhaps it should be no surprise that at times the relationship with the men in the trenches opposite was sometimes a bit more friendly than you might expect. You mean they might have preferred them <laughs> to, to the French, for instance? Yeah, I mean, uh, friendly contacts such as those that had occurred at the Christmas truce of 1914 were rare. But nevertheless, the two sides did often communicate with often uh, with each other, often by means of notice boards, which they just sort of erected above the trenches. And that was a great opportunity for humour, wasn't it? Well, yeah, you could put anything you wanted on a notice board, couldn't you? Give me an example, Gary. Well, this is what rifleman Francis Sumter of the 1st Rifle Brigade, it doesn't say where he comes from, uh, thank 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and this is what he says. They were a Saxon regiment opposite us. They seemed to be friendly people. Seemed to be friendly. As a sign of their friendliness, they put up a sign. Gott mit uns. God is with us. We put a sign in English. We've got mittens too. You see, that that sums up this book for me. <laughs> what book the reader's saying? Oh, it's Listener. <laughs> Hello, Listener. Right, uh, there's even an element of friendly competition uh, amidst the, uh, you know, they put these these boards up and it's sort of meant to be propaganda, but it all sort of degenerates, doesn't it? And this is what Corporal George Ashurst of the first Lancashire Fusiliers said. I forgot what generic northern sounds like. Oh, aye, aye. During the daytime, Fritz did his best to dishearten us by sticking up boards out of his trenches, on which was written, in English, bad news such as a great defeat on the Ypres sector, thousands of Tommies taken prisoner, or news that we'd lost a great naval battle and half our navy had got... It's got Australian... <laughs> Aye, and half our navy had gone to bottom at sea. Of course, we didn't believe any of his lies, and we were forbidden to write anything at all on boards for Fritz's information. But one day, during ration issue, a corporal of ours stuck up a loaf of bread on the end of a banner and raised it high, high, for, for Fritz to see. Almost instantly, two bayonets with loaves of bread on them were thrust up out of the German line. I made the right pegs here of that, didn't I? So when they write in English on these boards, they write it with German accents. Yes, of course. Mm. Now, sometimes quiet sectors of the line drifted into a kind of live and let live attitude. The motivation's clear, to improve their own living conditions in circumstances when there was uh, little military value in stirring up more trouble. Now, that's not sanctioned by high authorities. This is an informal system. In fact, they, they were trying to stamp it out, uh, the generals and the rest of it. Live and let live was not accepted, was it? And you're going to be Private Lionel Renton, 16th Middlesex Regiment, the public schools battalion, so you can give rein to your natural, normal accent. In the old loose sector, conditions were so foul and the trenches so close together that we tried to help each other when we could. One of these local arrangements operated at Givenchy. Life in those flooded holes was miserable for both sides. Fellows needed a moment to enjoy their grub, and both sides respected that. Neither side sent over mortar shells or grenades at breakfast time. The regiment opposite us were Saxons, decent fellows. The trenches were so close that we could hear them talking or singing. Jerry was a great one for singing, and the Saxons set up little impromptu choirs. One of these choirs was so talented that he always earned a round of applause from our chaps. Now, there's there's many apocryphal stories about this. Uh, uh, they're sort of exaggerated versions of this uh, this harmony, isn't it? And, and there's one story that, that that's just ridiculous. It's it's apocryphal, isn't it? Um, uh, who's that? This is Lieutenant Watercoats of the 1st Ninth Highland Light Infantry. Aye, there's a rather amusing story. No, no, <laughs> there's a rather amusing story going about just now about another part of the line. Obviously, not, not his part, another part of the line where things have been very quiet for months past and where the lines are very close together. The story is that... 
an engineer walked across to the Germans one night and borrowed a mallet to drive in some stakes with. The story is very like that of another part of the line, where our engineers are reported to have put up part of a barbed wire entanglement, only to find in the, in the morning that the Germans had finished it off, <laughs> as it was as much use to them as to us, so they'd finished off the, putting a barbed wire. Now, you'll notice that both those are in other parts of the line. And engineers. Oh, the engineers are like that, aren't they? No, no, I don't mean that engineer regiments. Now, it's often forgotten that Britain was was then one of the great melting pots of the world. It still is, I suppose. And a number of Germans had worked or lived there in the pre-war years. What kind of jobs would they do? Well, German pork butchers, businessmen, students, students. Seamen, seamen. Uh, seamen, waiters, they'd all frequented the streets of our major cities. And this led to some interesting banter shouted out between the trenches. And once more, you're going to be Captain Guy Chapman of the 13th Royal Fusiliers. Hello, Tommy. Are you going home on leave? <laughs> next week, the Englishman shouted. Are you going to London? was the next question. Yes! Then call at 224 Tottenham Court Road and give my love to Miss Sarah Jones. I'll go round, all right, and I'll jolly well... The fate of the lady was eclipsed in a roar of laughter from our side and the angry splutter of a machine gun from across the way. I'm looking proudly at you now. (laughs) Don't you ever... Make any comments about my accents again. Oh, well. Now, the kind of cheery banter often led to much laughter and a burst of fire just to keep things honest. Because, let's face it, these men are not really friends. It's just banter between enemies. Now, I'm going to be Private Dick Reed. <laughs> I should imagine he got an awful lot of stick. stick? Of the 8th Leicestershire Regiment. Mm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking at this precise time. Good man. Good man. Always best if you don't say what you're thinking, Gary. Weird sounds floated across from the German trenches. The strains of an accordion and the refrain of a song, very popular at the time of the Boer War, "Goodbye, Dolly Gray." Waiting until the singer had finished, we signified our approval by shouting "Hooray!" and "Encore!" but ceased abruptly when a voice hailed us from the other side. "Hello, Tommy." Hello, Tommy. Thoroughly intrigued by this development, we called, Hello, give us another song. Whereupon, after several false starts, we were treated to down by the old bull and bush. We hurrayed again and clapped. What's your name, Jerry? One of us shouted. Charlie, you bloody English bastards, came the voice of that worthy instantly, which mouthful rather nonplussed us. We were racking our brains for a suitably fruity reply when Charlie called Gus Nacht and several bullets in quick succession smacked into the parados above our heads. He likes us, remarked Freddie Smith with some feeling. I really like that. He likes us. <laughs> now, um, um, uh, there's... Um uh, yeah, well, Norman Dowie, uh, Norman Down, rather. He's uh, he's an unusual fellow. Uh, he crops up in a lot of our uh, quotes, doesn't he? Um, he remembers, uh, uh, well, that there's something weird comes across, doesn't it? Um, well, it's a mysterious object um, which has a message sort of attacked to it, which looked at first sight, and let's face it, who'd give it more than that before they'd, they'd running? Be running. It yeah. looked like a bomb. 
and this that 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 does trigger a bit of a, an amusing riposte. I'm saying riposte for you because I knew you'd have trouble with it. Actually, did I get it right? Never mind. It's his Lieutenant Norman, Lieutenant Norman Down, not Dowie, Lieutenant Down. Norman Down of the Fourth Gordon Highlanders. Aye. We all scooted round the corner for a few seconds, and then, as there was no explosion, we went back to discover an old jam tin lying on the trench boards. We picked it up and found inside a message. Dear Jocks, I have a wife in Falkirk. What would happen if I came over to you tonight? There would be another widow in Falkirk! Now, I know it's a range of accents in there. Also, we've had many quotes of Norman Down, and he's always had an English accent before. Oh, yeah, he's from Edinburgh. <laughs> Now, um, there, there are also cases where combatants, uh, you know, their, their families had emigrated from Germany and, and they now lived in Britain or, or, or the colonies. And, um, on it, I can think of one example of Germans who'd emigrated to Britain already. Who can you think of them? You're talking about the House of Windsor or Saxe-Coburg, as they'd previously been known. Now, this, this though, story uh, I'm going to tell as Sergeant Edgar Ruler, the 14th Australian Battalion. And he uh, discovers that he might be a, a little closer than he might have wished to his daddy. Daddy, daddy, where are you, daddy? Um, and this is what Edgar Rule says. In the ranks of C Company was a man named Schaefner. He was born in Australia from German parents. Prior to the outbreak of war, his father had gone on a visit to Fatherland and found himself trapped. I presume he was conscripted when he was there. The son believed that he was serving in the German forces. One night, as I was standing on the fire step beside Schaefer, watching the white flares rise gracefully, I was going to try and do a sort of romantic voice, but Australians can't do that, can they? Flares rise gracefully from the German Hun line. I said quite casually, well... I wonder if my... He said quite casually. Oh, why am I so useless? <laughs> well, I wonder if my old pop is over there. It would be interesting to meet him. Yeah, this is going well. It's going really well. This is one of our finest episodes now, it was, of untrammeled professionalism. Now, it was generally believed that the Saxon units were more friendly than the Prussians, the real Germans. Yeah, we've had that coming across before, haven't we? Because uh, several of the quotes have mentioned Saxons. Anyway, you'll go back to uh, who now Scottish, uh, Lieutenant Norman Down, still with the 4th Gordon Highlands fine body of men. The people over the way are Saxons. Oh, hang on, hang on. That's not Scottish. Uh, he was putting it on before. The other day at Stand 2 in the morning, we discovered that during the night they put up a notice on the parapet of their trench. As it became light, we were able to make it out. And here it is. We are Saxons. You have killed our major. He was a Prussian. Thank you. They do love each other, don't they? Now, uh, there's also, uh, he also rejoices, uh, rejoices, and actually several men mention this, in um, the, the, this is a sort of account of the progress of a German officer which appears in the, their divisional newspaper. It's it's quite it's quite common in diaries and post-war accounts. So clearly, people found this amusing. Once more, your lieutenant Norman Down. The gem of the season appeared today. It was a collection of extracts from the diary of a Hun captured at the crater. It read as follows: June the third, Lieutenant Reinecker is drunk. June the seventh, Lieutenant Reinecker is drunk again. June the thirteenth, once again, Lieutenant Reinecker is drunk. June the 21st, today we attacked. As we advanced, Lieutenant Reinecker could be heard shouting, Forwards! from a dugout in the support line. July the 15th, Lieutenant Reinecker has received the Iron Cross. 
<laughs> now, sometimes uh, friendly overtures from Germans opposite were misunderstood or it led to confusion, didn't it? Uh, what, what do I mean? Well, some, some of the British units that wouldn't be directly involved in those overtures wouldn't actually understand what was going on. And this is what Major William Lowe of the 18th Durham Light Infantry tells us. It was a custom to pull the Bosch's leg. On November 5th, an effigy of the Kaiser was displayed in German uniform with a large cardboard iron cross complete. There was one unfortunate incident. A Polish deserter who came over to us said that many of his comrades wished to do the same. A large board with a notice in Polish was put up in no man's land. This caused many of the enemies, probably Poles, to collect in their trenches and expose themselves. The light trench mortar battery, who had apparently not been warned of the notice, seeing an excellent target, let fly in their midst. It was from certain points of view unfortunate, as we might otherwise have had a large number of deserters. Those poor sods, fancy just innocently exposing themselves. Certain points of view unfortunate. Certainly from their point of view it would have been unfortunate. Now, perhaps we should remind ourselves that these men were generally bitter enemies. Not all interactions across no man's land were well-meaning. No, and here's a horrible one from Lieutenant John Staniforth, 7th Leinster Regiment. Now, it's important, this is important to get through, that the book and the, these podcasts, the, the Laugh or Cry and these podcasts, that we, we're aware of how awful it was. And this is a nasty little quote. And Staniforth says this, The Bosch is a poisonous blighter. They've got hold of a dead Scotsman, propped him up with his backside towards us and turned up his kilt in mockery. And there he stands with one of their sentries beside him, so we can't get at him, though we try night and day. Ugh. Well, what do you think of that, Gary? Well, war's always a terrible business, but somehow the men had to find their way through the horrors. In fact, Pete, they had to laugh or cry. Gary, you're so professional. Anyway, uh, this is... Uh, when, when's the book out? It's soon, isn't it? It's very soon. Well, the book, Laugh or Cry... British Soldier on the Western Front, 1914-1918 for its full title. Uh, well, it's out next week, Pete. Exactly a week today, I think. Uh, with, with pen and sword. Absolutely. Oh, it's available in all good bookshops and some poor ones as well. And you can you can pre-order it for, uh, via Amazon. And uh, I don't think there's any spaces left at our conference, our, our launching conference with Richard Van Emden and Taff Gillingham. But uh, you might have a look on social media and see if we've got a couple left. But anyway, we're all looking forward to the book coming out and we hope you all buy it. Otherwise, we, we poor pensioners will be desperately sad and lonely. We're sad and lonely anyway. Yeah, I suppose so. Hello, I'm Sad. And I'm Lonely. And together... We're Pete and Gary's Military History. Cheers. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?